devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open it up, up to us the door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have also been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves in wisdom toward others, making the most of your opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Okay, so he wants them to devote themselves to prayer. Really think about God a lot, constantly communicating with Him with an attitude of thanksgiving. You can't get away from the theme of thanksgiving in this book. And what does he want them to pray for Him? Open doors. Yeah. Where was Paul? Yeah. What would you have prayed, wanted them to pray for you? Open literal door. open doors <laughs> yeah I'm not sure I've been thinking about the evangelistic doors being open the prison doors might have been the first you know, order of business for me but it wasn't for him um, you know and we shouldn't assume that the doors to speak of Christ are going to open by themselves we need to pray the doors open we need to pray for the Lord to give opportunity to glorify and speak about Him. You know, so He wants these brethren to pray for Him so that they can be partially responsible for the results. You know, when more people pray and God answers their prayer, then there's more glorifying God and more thanks to God. But look at verses 5 and 6. When it comes to dealing with non-Christians, what are the things we have to think about? What are his principles for, for dealing with teaching non-Christians? Well, you, you're always looking for those open doors. Yeah, you are. Seize the opportunity. Make the most of the opportunity. You know, every day gives opportunities that won't be repeated. So, as a Christian, I need to look for the time, the place, the open door to speak to someone about the Lord. I, that's, a, that's a big thing. Making the most of the opportunity. Um, what else? How, how should I speak to others? Going like a bull in a china shop. Yes. Wisdom, you know, let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt, you know, not some air of superiority, um, but but an attitude of 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 humility, of of wisdom and respect for them, of graciousness. You know, sometimes people in their zeal to defend the truth and to convert people. It's just like just going around and telling people, you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. Well, that's, that's, not, that's not the right way to do that. I'm not saying we ought not to show people their sins, convict them of sins, and show them the need of salvation, but we do that in a wise way. We do that in a gracious way. We speak boldly. I mean, he said that. But we speak boldly 
with wisdom to respond properly in a way that will lead someone to the Lord, not make them completely turn away from us. Thoughts and comments about that to verse 6. Down in the basement we talked about how Paul took every opportunity to speak about God like he did in chapter 26. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. We do need to take those opportunities. and I mean, we need to look at situations more that way. You know, if we just thought, God put this situation here for me, what does he want me to do with it? That would be helpful to us. You know, it, it would, it would help, maybe help us recognize that there's doors that are open if we'll, if we'll take advantage of them. Other thoughts through six. Seven to nine. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Well, you remember that Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 and 22, is almost identical to Colossians 4, verses 7 and 8. I believe Tychicus was delivering both the letter to the Ephesians and this letter to the Colossians. And Tychicus is going to communicate how Paul was doing and things like that. He's a faithful bondservant. And, and Paul sent him so that Paul didn't have to actually tell them all the details of how things were going for him. It's going to be more encouraging, perhaps, to hear it from the mouth of someone else anyway, a third-party observer. So he said, Tychicus will tell you about those things, and uh, he'll encourage you. Who's the other guy that's going with Tychicus to carry the letter? Who is that runaway slave from Philemon that Paul sent back home? And uh, he says, you know, Onesimus is our faithful and beloved brother who's one of your number. And so he's, uh, you know, he wants them to see Onesimus as a brother now, as a faithful and beloved brother, and as one of them, and reach out to him and encourage him and bless him. People are not necessarily what they once were. You know, there's a lot of transformation that goes on in the Lord. Look at Paul himself. Was he now what he once was? You know, clearly not. Onesimus has changed. He's now a faithful and beloved brother. He's one of you. You know, so he also will help tell the Colossians about how Paul is doing. Thoughts and comments? So did this go, you think this letter went at the same time as Philemon? I do, and Ephesians. Right. Yeah. I really think that Tychicus Onesimus stopped in Ephesians and dropped off that letter, and then went on up to uh, Ephesus, or Colossae and Laodicea, and possibly had a letter for the Laodiceans, because Colossians 4 refers to that, and we'll see that in a second, um, and, and, and the letter to the Colossians and to Philemon. Take advantage of your couriers 
when they go. Oh, I mean, Paul's in prison. He's got time to write, I'm assuming. So, you know, here, drop this off at Ephesus and then go on up to the Lycus Valley and give this letter to the brethren of Laodicea, this letter to the brethren of Colossae, and this letter to Brother Philemon. And while you're at it, be telling the brethren how we're doing. I'm seeing something like that. Anything else through verse 9? 10 to 14. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, send you his greetings, and also Barnabas, Barnabas's cousin, Mark, about whom you receive instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greeting, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. So Paul is sending greetings from brethren, three Jewish, three non-Jewish. Who are the three Jewish brethren that he sends greetings from? Aristarchus. Mark. Mark and? And Jesus. And Jesus. Talk about that in a moment. <coughs> yes. Isn't Mark the guy that um, Barnabas wanted that Paul didn't? Yes. No wonder. He's his cousin. <laughs> Yes! Now you know one of the reasons that Bar- but Barnabas was the kind of guy who'd stand up for a loser. He did that with Paul himself. He was, he was a genuinely encouraging guy, but he was standing up for his cousin. Yeah, you That's didn't know that. Yeah. And it's also interesting that by now, you know, Paul seems to be speaking well of Mark and says, if he comes to you, welcome him. So Paul seems more impressed now. So you got the three, Barnabas, uh, or Mark actually, Aristarchus, and Jesus, of the Jews. Who were the three he sends greetings from that weren't Jews? Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. That's right. So look at each one of these. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, I'm guessing he was in prison along with Paul, sends you his greetings. And Barnabas' cousin Mark, you know, and if he comes, welcome him. You know, Paul maintained no malice toward Mark. He had completely, uh, you know, recovered his respect for him and his confidence in him. That speaks well of Paul. You know, what, what if people judged us by the stupidest things we've ever done? Wouldn't we all be in big trouble? <laughs> Wouldn't we all like to just crawl in a hole and stay there? Hasn't everyone done some really stupid things? I have. And I imagine most of us have. So, you know, okay, so Mark messed up. So Mark just went AWOL when they really needed him on that first journey for whatever reason. I don't know if he got homesick. I don't know if he just thought it was too tough. I don't know what it was, but he changed. People can. Don't sentence them forever to being worthless. Uh, he, he speaks well of him. And then, but the, the one that's curious to me is Jesus sending his greetings. 
<laughs> so this is a Christian. Yes. So is this saying that it's okay to name your child Jesus? <laughs> well, actually, your parents did. Right? Do you know what Jesus is in Hebrew? Joshua. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? Yeah. Jesus was just a name in the first century. It wasn't just our Jesus that had the name Jesus. You know, that was just a name. There's a lot of people in Hispanic cultures. I, I know a guy, Jesus, which is Jesus. Uh, that's that's fairly common. So, yeah, it was just a name. But, wow. What would you think if you were named Jesus? I have a lot to live up to. Yes! <laughs> Isn't that exactly what we think? Well, whose name do we wear? Jesus. Christian, Christian. We do have a lot to live up to. We ought to always think like we had the name Jesus. You know, we ought to have that mindset. I think that's really, uh, you know, interesting. He was also called Justice. He was a just man named Jesus. Um, he was an encouragement to Paul. Those were the those were the the Jews that he could really trust and count on that are sending their greetings. Anything on 10 or 11? Then he mentions Epaphras, who was one of your number. Remember from chapter 1, Epaphras brought the gospel to the Colossians. What's Epaphras doing besides sending his greetings to them? Laboring earnestly in prayers that you may stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Yeah, I mean, when you think about laboring earnestly, what what images does that conjure up? Sweating. Sweat! That's exactly what I was thinking. Yes, you work hard, you sweat. Well, he was sweating for them in what? Prayer. In prayer. That's what Paul did. Yeah. Have you ever prayed that intensely that you broke a sweat? You know, have you ever worked hard in prayer? And notice, always laboring earnest for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. He's got a goal. He's begging. He's praying. He's earnestly praying that the false teachers not shake their confidence, that they be fully assured in all the will of God. That's the danger in Colossae, is that these false teachers will come along like a gust of wind. And uh, really... Uh, undermine their confidence. So Epaphras is working hard praying that they'll have full confidence and conviction in the Lord. He says he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. That's what we need. More concern for brethren that motivates us to really, you know, exhaust ourselves praying for them. I think this is almost language that just seems like a dream to us. We really can see in this so much more need to be praying for each other and to be be really praying with intensity and fervor. And he sends greetings from Luke, the beloved physician. That's how we know Luke was a doctor. 
besides the fact Luke and Acts contain all sorts of little medical details. And, uh, and, and, and you know, you've got Demas. What does he say about Demas here? Also Demas. <laughs> well. Not even. Also Zetalicized. <laughs> <laughs> and Demas. And Demas. <laughs> well, that kind of stinks. <laughs> he said something about Tychicus, about Onesimus, about Aristarchus. Maybe he's just one of the prisoners that just want him to say hi. Um, well, I don't really? know. He's mentioned in Philemon. And uh, where else is he mentioned? Um, oh, Timothy's. Are you yeah. sure he wasn't bad? He must left me for this current world. Yeah. Yeah. Do you suppose that's Second uh, Timothy four ten? Do you suppose that Paul had an inkling of that already, and he just yeah, doesn't have a lot to him. say about and Demas? You know, it's if you can't say anything him. good, just don't say anything. <laughs> could be. I don't know. It's just curious. He said something really positive about the others, and then he says and Demas. Well, Second Timothy, it says, For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So that was two or three years later. Something like that. Where Timothy's really shown his true colors. He just went AWOL. I said Timothy. Yeah. Demas. Demas has gone AWOL. He's, he's shown his true colors. He just, he left. And he wanted the present world. But is it perhaps that you kind of saw a foreshadowing of that in that there's not a lot to really compliment Demas even here. And sometimes people kind of drift slowly away. I don't know. That's just a curiosity to me, but I think it might be. That's why I have to stay completely away from the other things. Mm-hmm. Don't even get close. Yeah. Thoughts and comments through uh, 14. All right, well, we can, uh, we'll pick up these last four verses uh, next time.